Welcome to the Journey Church Podcast. It's our hope that the next few moments lead you closer to Jesus, encourage you to grow, and equip you to exist for those not yet here. If you enjoyed today's message, we'd love for you to subscribe to our podcast so that we can bring you fresh content every week as you continue in your walk with Christ. Come on, everybody. Feeling good? Yeah. All right. Yeah, it's actually, it's really convincing. Usually you got to be like, no, that was okay. Like, do you really feel good though? But like, I'm convinced right off the bat, it's going to be a good day. Hey, if you're joining us here in the room or if you're joining us online, we're just glad that we can do church together today. We're excited to see how the day goes, see what God is going to do in his house. And so before we join up with Montgomeryville and really get started, uh, one thing we want to do real quick is make it very easy for anybody who needs to be in the Word of God, in the presence of God, to be there. And so if you're watching online, uh, we want to go ahead and just share whatever you're watching on. Share it to your page or your board or the wall. I think that was MySpace. Maybe don't do that. But share it, whatever you're watching, so that people can watch with you. If you're in the room and there's somebody that you wish could be here with you, uh, but they're not comfortable being in the room or being you know, in a building or anything, uh, go ahead. You can text them the link. It's okay to text in church right now. Not later, but right now is absolutely fine. And so we want to do that. You can do that through the app. You can watch on the app. You can watch online on any kind of streaming media service. Uh, We just want to make that, again, as easy as possible for people to come and do church with us. We've heard a lot of really cool stories of people just kind of stumbling across uh, the journey videos on other people's pages and having their lives changed. And we want to make that super easy. Another thing we want to do is make absolutely as much noise as possible here in a second when we join with Montgomeryville because we're excited to do church together uh, with them. And so uh, as we're getting close to, to transitioning over there, let's do that. Let's make some noise. Let's let Montgomeryville know that we care. If you're watching at home as well, as we're joining with Montgomeryville. Hey, everybody, if you're in Montgomeryville, make some noise back at us so we know you care. We know you're excited to do church today. It's going to be a good day, y'all. My name is Taylor. Obviously, I'm not Steve. I don't have the height. You heard the age. You thought I was going to say hair. Forget you guys. Uh, my name is Taylor. We're going into the fourth week of our sermon series, What to Do When Crap Hits the Fan. What do you do when everything seems kind of wrong, like just nothing is going right? So what we're going to talk about today is making good decisions. Maybe you need to start making good decisions. Maybe you need to keep making good decisions. We'll, we'll kind of figure it out as we go. But a couple weeks ago, Steve talked about a paintball game that he was at. And I can confirm that he was there because I was also there. And I will forever remember that day in that paintball game because uh, it ruined my life, actually. <laughs> so um, basically, I kind of give you the, the story of what was going on. So as we're, we're playing the game, and there's different paintball games, which I didn't realize. I never played paintball before in my life, but we're doing different things where you're running around shooting each other, and then you're like hiding in a building and like shooting other people from the building so they don't come in. And then the last game of the day, or the last game that I was a part of for the day, was capture the flag. And so basically, each team has a flag on opposite sides of this big course, and right in the middle is like a home base. And your objective is to go get the other team's flag and to bring it back to this center like point, and that's how you win. And you don't want to get shot while you're doing it. And so we're playing this game, and my team has been like, honestly, we've been losing a little bit the past couple games that we needed the W. Now, I don't know what I'm doing. Obviously, I've never played paintball before. Uh, but what I lack in skill, I make up for with uh, not thinking about anything and just having to give them heck attitude. And so that's what I was going into it with. And so one thing led to another thing, and I have the flag. Like, I'm ready to go. I'm hiding behind a rock, like waiting for my team to come around me so we can work the flag down to the base. And I'll kind of explain the course was 
very large. It was in the woods, kind of in the middle of nowhere. It's on a big slant. There's big rocks and things everywhere. And where the base was is this like deer trail almost. It's pretty jagged and muddy, and there's like rocks and branches and whatever. And it's right in the middle of this trail that you have to get the flag to. And so I'm waiting behind a rock at the top of this trail for my team to show up because I've seen Saving Private Ryan. I watched Band of Brothers. I saw Bad Boys and Bad Boys 2. I know how this works. My team is going to come around me. We're just going to start chucking lead down down range, and then we're going to sneak from one spot to the next spot and slowly work our way down to where the flag goes. And so I'm waiting, and I waited for a very long time, and nobody showed up because nobody on my flag or on my team knew that I had the flag. So in my mind... I'm like, that's okay, because if they don't know that I have the flag, then the other team doesn't know that I have the flag. That ended up being wrong. I learned later that there was a whole team waiting on the other side of a rock to ruin my day. But I didn't know that at the time, so I was like, instantly, the plan is just go. Like, just run down this trail as fast as you can and drop the flag off before anybody realizes that you have it. And so that's what I did. I start running, and I'm going down this trail and I start to realize, like, maybe I shouldn't have done this. So it's like a jagged trail. My legs start kind of shaking, you know what I mean? Like, you ever been there where you try to, like, exert yourself too much and your legs, like, you've had a, an agreement with your legs at this point in your life where you're going to stay mostly still and they're going to make sure you don't just fall down. And now you're kind of flipping the script and they're not really sure if they want to come along with it. So I had that moment, uh, but it didn't last long because the, the decision was made, I'm falling down. So I start falling down and I think in my head I have enough forward momentum to save the day, James Bond style, learn this one from bad boys, tuck and roll, just flip over, roll onto your back, use your momentum to get back up and keep running. So I'm like, sweet, that's what I'm going to do. And so I tucked, but I did not roll. I came real hard down on my shoulder on a rock or a branch or something that you're not supposed to land on your shoulder on. Uh, long story short, I broke my shoulder. I snapped my AC joint. You can Google that if you want to. Uh, I didn't know what it was until I broke it. And so I did that. I had to have surgery. I had to be in a sling for like six-ish weeks. Had to do you know, physical therapy and everything. And I'm still, over a year later, getting some of the functionality of my shoulder back. So it was one bad decision that really affected the entirety of my life. And here's the thing, too. At the time, I didn't know it was a bad decision. Like, I thought I was doing the right thing. My situation seemed to dictate that I take this flag and I run with it. I had the flag. We needed the win. I saw the goal. Like, it made sense to me on the surface. But if I would have taken a moment to look kind of beyond that, I probably would have realized that there were better options, like not sprinting at all. And so my environment didn't really allow for what I was trying to do. It was muddy. There were rocks around, uh, branches and stuff like that. I'm wearing the goggles. Like, have you ever been paintballing? You wear, like, the mask. And if you wear glasses, it's got you doing all of this right here. And, like, it's fogging up and you can't see. I'm wearing, like, construction boots. They were not meant for running. Uh, also, just let's just be honest with you. I don't sprint, like, ever. Like, some of you, like, we played sports together sometimes, like I didn't really play sports growing up that much. And now as an adult, sometimes I'll play sports with people, but like, I'll, like I'll hustle, but I'll never put the burners on. You know what I mean? And so like, I was not prepared as a person to do all that. And it got me to thinking that it can be really complicated to make decisions. Making good choices is a lot harder, I think, than, than maybe we realize because there's a lot that goes into it. There's a lot of factors that play into it. And most of us, if we're honest, are pretty bad at making good decisions in the stressful situations, especially when crap hits the fan. Because sometimes the right thing to do seems wrong. So if, if you're in a relationship and you know you have to end it, you have to break up with somebody, you don't want to do that because you're going to hurt that person's feelings and that seems wrong. But you know it would be even more wrong to drag the thing on and hurt them a lot more later. So you do what you have to do. You know it's the right thing. Sometimes, though, the wrong thing 
seems like it's right on the surface. So like lawnmower parents who just mow down anything that their child will ever have to deal with to like give them a better chance to succeed. They think they're doing the right thing, but in reality, they're just depriving their child of the ability to like grow as a person, uh, figure out how to deal with their own problems and like develop those techniques of handling stress and issues. And so the thing is that like we all want to make good decisions, right? Like does anybody not, well, they probably don't raise your hand if you don't want to make good decisions, but like most of us want to make good decisions. And that's not even like just on being a Christian. That's just in general. Like we know the better decisions that we make, the better life that we have for the most part. You make good decisions. You don't have to worry as much about things. You make good financial decisions. You can have financial security. You don't got to worry about money as much. You make good relationship and dating decisions. You don't have to worry as much about like, am I going to be enough this time? Like, is this the right person? You don't waste enough of, you don't waste much of your life with the wrong people in the wrong situations. You make good career decisions. You don't have to worry about like, where am I going to be working next year? Like, where am I going to get my next paycheck from? Because you've made good decisions. But it is hard, but we all want to do it. And God knew that. And he equipped us to be able to do it, to make good decisions. He gave us kind of a guide and that he gave us the Holy Spirit and he gave us a conscience. And I'll kind of explain what those are. The Holy Spirit is legitimately is the spirit of God that lives inside of you. It's his will for your life, his wisdom that he makes available to you, and his power to overcome the world. Whatever you're up against, whatever shame or addiction or guilt, whatever you feel like keeps you buried, you have the power inside of you by the grace of God to overcome that thing. That's the Holy Spirit that lives inside of you. In addition to that, we have our conscience. And your conscience is that like nagging feeling that what you're about to do is wrong or that feeling that like you need to do something that is right that you just don't want to do. And I think the two of them work together to guide us toward God's plan for our lives and guide us towards making right decisions. I think they work like a GPS a little bit where maybe you don't know the way to go, but your GPS does. And it gives you step-by-step instructions and how to get there. And it'll tell you, don't make this turn or do make this turn. If you've ever driven with a GPS, and if you're anything like me, you know you don't have to listen to the GPS though. Like sometimes Wally is just wrong and you want to do your own thing or so you think. And we can do that. God gave us free will in addition to our conscience and to the Holy Spirit. Uh, But the problem is this. So Steve will say all the time, where it's God's will, it's God's bill. When we listen to God's instruction... We stand in obedience in what God has for us in our life. We are under his protection. Does that mean it's going to be easy? No, absolutely not. When you follow God's plan for your life, it's going to be the most difficult path pretty much that there is. But you find that you are made capable of so much more than you are naturally because it is God who's called you to it. If he's called you to it, he will see you through it. The further away you get from what God is calling you to, the more hardship, the more pain and the more just heartache that you invite upon yourself. And when you do that, when you choose to not to listen to the word of God, you're choosing not to live with a good conscience. And the Bible tells us about living with a good conscience. In the book of 1 Timothy in chapter 1, so this is a letter that Paul, who's an apostle, is writing to Timothy, who's also an apostle. Paul's an older man. He's in prison when he's writing this, actually, for preaching the word of God. He's an apostle, uh, as is Timothy, Uh, which just means that they're both dedicated their lives to spreading the gospel of Jesus Christ. And so Paul is mentoring Timothy, and Timothy is at a place called Ephesus. And so Paul writes to Timothy, and among other things, he's telling him, you need to stay in Ephesus because there's people there that you need to correct. They're not acting right. He's basically saying there are religious teachers 
in that area who are kind of teaching the gospel, but they're doing it in a way where they're kind of twisting it and they're trying to like make personal gain from, from the gospel. And so he says, Timothy has to go and correct them. And in verse five, he says this, the goal of this command is love, which comes from a pure heart and a good conscience and a sincere faith. So what Paul is telling Timothy in that moment is, if you want to like do what God is calling you to do, if you want to live the life that God has called you to live, that comes from making the right decisions, the listening to your conscience. He says it comes from love, which in part comes from a good conscience. You listen to the word of God and you do what it says, even when it's not the easiest thing or it's not the most appealing thing. Later then in verse 19, Paul tells Timothy to keep doing the work that he's doing. And he says this, holding on to faith and a good conscience, some have rejected these and so have shipwrecked their faith. The more that you ignore the voice of God in your life, the harder it becomes to hear him at all. Because of what Paul said right here, some have rejected a good conscience and made a shipwreck of their faith. And how does that work? How do you make a shipwreck of your faith and what does your conscience have to do with it? And it's just that. Your conscience is the voice of God in your life. And the more that you ignore it, the less and less that you actually hear it at all. And it's not because God stops calling you to anything. God never leaves you. God never stops talking to you but you tune him out. We tune ourselves out of it. If you have kids at home or if you have a sibling at home or a coworker that you don't like listening to that much, you know firsthand you can tune people out pretty easily. And it's not that they ever stop talking. It's that you stop listening to it. And that's the danger of living outside of a good conscience. And if you call yourself a Christian, you cannot live outside of a good conscience. If you you can't call yourself a Christian. Let me rephrase it. You can't call yourself a Christian and not try to walk in step with what God has for your life. Because you're saying, I follow Jesus, but I also ignore him. And that just doesn't make any sense. So if it's so important to make good decisions, how do we do it? If it's so complicated, but also so important, we have this guide, but how do we make sure we're making the right decisions? And the good news is I think we have awesome examples in the Bible of people who make great decisions, and also of people who make terrible decisions. One of the best examples, in my opinion, of somebody who does both is David. And you know David, uh, if, if, even if you've never been in church before. Uh, you know who David is. He's the kid who killed the giant with a slingshot. Um, if you've ever watched a sports movie ever in your life, it gets to the very last fight or game or whatever it is, and one announcer every single time will say, it's a real David and Goliath story here. You, like You've heard of who David is. But I want to talk a little bit about David and kind of, kind of how he came to, to be known. And so the fact is that David was the son of a shepherd. He was the last born son of a shepherd. And nobody cared about David at all. Nobody wanted to be a shepherd in that day. He was very looked down on. You were thought to be a thief and just kind of dirty and just not a person you wanted to uh, really be in association with. And so his whole family was kind of looked down on. And then within his family, David was looked down on, especially maybe because he was the youngest or who knows, but we know nobody really cared about David. But in that place, God saw him, he chose him to be more, and he said, and David is the only person in the Bible that God says this about, but he says that um, David is a man after my own heart, is what, is what God says when he calls him to be the king of Israel eventually. So God anoints David as the king of Israel when nobody cared about him. And so that's just an aside, but let that speak to you. If you feel like nobody cares about you, that you mean nothing to anybody, understand that God sees you where you're at and he loves you for who you are because it's who he made you to be. So David comes on the scene with the whole Goliath bit. He kills Goliath and he wins 
the affection and the respect of the king at the time whose name is Saul. Now, Saul had been anointed as the king of Israel, which is just God's people. Uh, and he'd done really cool things. God had done awesome things through Saul. He was a great warrior, and people loved him. The people used to sing in the streets that uh, Saul has killed his thousands, and Saul liked that. You remember the, like, Terrell Owens, was it? I love me some me. Saul was kind of the same way. He loved him some Saul, and so he started venturing further and further away from God, what God wanted him to do and how God wanted him to lead, and he started kind of doing his own thing. He started making pretty bad decisions, and in doing so, he fell out of favor with the Lord, and the Lord anointed David. And so David comes on the scene, and Saul is uh, mentoring him and kind of bringing him up uh, to be a great warrior, to be a great leader, and David is. He takes to it like fire. And people sing in the streets that Saul killed his thousands, but David killed his tens of thousands. And Saul didn't like that at all. Slowly, Saul starts to realize that David is going to take this kingdom away from him, and he just can't, like, he, he's not going to hang with that. And so uh, he tries to kill David. Saul throws a spear at David in the palace. It misses him, and David has to run away. Obviously, he goes on kind of on the lamb, running for his life, and Saul chases him through the wilderness with his army for eight years, something I was reading was saying. And in this time, David has actually multiple opportunities to kill Saul and end the whole thing, but he never does. And those are the, discussion, or the decisions that we're going to talk about. Today, one in particular... Uh, David is hiding out with his men in a cave. It's the back of a cave, and Saul actually comes into the cave, not knowing that they're in there. Uh, he comes in to go to the restroom. And so we're going to read this out of 1 Samuel in chapter 24. Uh, we'll start with verses 3 through 5, or 3 through 4, excuse me. He said this, he came to the sheep pens. He is Saul. He said, Saul came to the sheep pens along the way. A cave was there, and Saul went in to relieve himself. David and his men were far back in the cave. The men said, this is the day the Lord spoke of when he said to you, I will give you your enemy into your hands for you to deal with as you wish. Then David crept up unnoticed and cut off a corner of Saul's rope. So kind of what's going on in this moment is this. They're all hiding out in this cave. David, or Saul comes into the cave, doesn't know that they're there. He's taking care of business. He's distracted by himself. And David's men are, are just getting excited. They're hyped. They're like, dude, this is it. This is what God was talking about. Like God is giving you Saul right now. And David is like starting to listen to it, I think, a little bit. He's getting a little excited. He's getting kind of fired up. He's like, yeah, you're right. And he pulls out his knife and he sneaks up to Saul and he cuts off the corner of his robe. Uh, why? Who knows? Just to show that he could have killed Saul, but he chooses not to do it. And then in verse five, it says this, afterward, David was conscience stricken for having cut off a corner of his robe. He said to his men, the Lord forbid that I should do such a thing to my master, the Lord's anointed, or lay my hand on him, for he is the anointed of the Lord. With these words, David sharply rebuked his men and did not allow them to attack Saul. And Saul left the cave and went on his way. So in this moment, David had the perfect opportunity to kill Saul, to make his own life way easier, to make the life of his men way easier, to step into what he ultimately wanted, which was to rule the kingdom that had been promised to him. That was a hard decision to make to not kill Saul, but he chooses not to, which may to us kind of seem foolish. But what he knows is that Saul is the king. And even if he doesn't like Saul or agree with Saul, Saul is still his king and he was put there by God. And it's not his responsibility to remove him from the throne. It's his responsibility to trust and to honor him and then take over that throne one day when God gives it to him. But it's not his to take over. 
And it's because of this decision and this obedience in this moment that I think David is able to live in the blessing of God for a large part of his life. And there's things that he did, I think, when he's making that decision, things that we can take from that and apply to our own lives so that we can make better decisions. All right? And there's three, obviously, we're in church, there's three things because that's how church works. So three things that we can do to make better decisions based on David's decision is this. The first one is that uh, we don't settle for what's on the surface. So David, on the surface, uh, it seems like the right idea. Like his men are kind of making good points. The first time I read this, I was like, yeah, I'd, I'd kill him for sure. Like it makes sense that like dude's chasing you through the woods. God said he was going to give his enemies over to you. He's sitting right there like primed and ready to go. It just makes the most sense that this is like this is what you got to do. But David looked deeper than that and he knew that even though God did say that he was going to turn his enemies over to him, Saul wasn't his enemy. Saul was his king. And God had called him to respect and to honor Saul not to kill him. And so he chose in that moment to look beyond the surface and make a good, educated decision from that place. And so an example from my life of maybe not making the best decision is uh, my truck. I bought my truck a couple years ago, uh, and it was everything that I had ever hoped, dreamed, or imagined. Like, it was perfect. It had the right, it was the right year range, it was the right body style, the right cab configuration, the interior was perfect, like everything that I thought I wanted in a truck was in this truck, and I loved it. And the mileage was pretty low for the year. The price was okay, and so I bought it, and I was a hype on it. I was so excited, showing everybody, driving around all the time, like just any time I could spend in this truck, I would do it. And over time, though, I started to realize, like, something just doesn't feel right. Like, something's up with this truck. Where's all my money going is what I was thinking. And I started to realize that underneath the surface, underneath all the cool extracurriculars, was a big old engine in a big old heavy-duty frame, which I thought was awesome until I realized that the two of them together mean I get 10 miles to the gallon in my truck. I realized that that was probably not the best decision I could have made. But I didn't look past the surface. I just settled for what was on top. I settled for what was immediately available to me and like the flashy stuff, and I made my decision from that point. And here's the thing. Like, it was an okay decision. Like, I don't, I still have that truck. I still like it. It's fine. And we can make okay decisions. Settle for what's on the surface, you make an okay decision. That person that you're thinking about dating, who like they go to church somewhere, they serve maybe, they're like mostly at church, like they like the same music as you, all the stuff that you like want, they have like cool like clothing style or whatever. But you know underneath of it, they like they lack maturity, they lack security and an actual knowledge of who they are in Jesus. And you know underneath you really shouldn't date them. But on the surface, it looks cool. Like, you can, you can date them. You might, like, it'll, you'll have an okay relationship, maybe. You might end up getting married one day, and you'll have an okay marriage, and you can raise an okay family together. That'd be fine. Fine is debatable, but it would be okay. That job that you think is awesome on paper that pays more money, has better benefits, has a cooler title so you feel more important, that might be okay, but you know it makes you travel 75% of the year, so you don't get to be home with your family at all. But that's fine. You can, you can have an okay job. 
You can have an okay family. You can live an okay life, but that's not the life that God is calling you to. When you settle for what's on the surface, you settle for living okay where God wants better. The Bible tells us in the New Testament that God's will for us is good and pleasing and perfect. It doesn't say that his will for us is okay. God's plan for your life is not okay. It is excellent. It is better than anything you could ever hope, dream for, or imagine. So don't allow yourself to settle for okay when God wants better for your life. The second thing we're going to do is this. Don't justify, clarify. We talk about justify. What does that mean? It's when you talk yourself into thinking that you're making the right decision. And we've all been there. Like me especially, I think my parents are going to watch at some point and they're going to laugh out loud because I've done this from the time I could talk. Talk about why like this thing that I want to do is actually okay. What you don't understand is this and that and the other. And usually this would be wrong, but because of this, that, and the third thing, this is actually an okay thing for me to do. And here's just a quick tip. If you have to justify what you're doing, if you have to talk yourself into doing something, or if you have to talk yourself out of doing something, that means you know you're wrong. You're just trying to convince yourself otherwise. But it would have been super easy for David to justify killing Saul. And like incredibly convincingly, So you think about this, Saul chased him around for eight years in the wilderness, and it wasn't just David, it was David and all of his men. So now David and all of his men are on the run, away from their families, away from home for years and years and years, for literally no reason, for no fault of their own, they just have to run away. Saul's chasing them around with the entire Israelite army, so now the whole army has to be away for years and years and years, not being at home. It's it's not their fault, they don't want to be there, they're just following their leader, who everybody thinks right now is crazy. It would have been better for everybody. You know what I mean? It's really easy to think it would have been just better for everybody if David would just kill Saul, end it all. The people loved David. Uh, Everybody did. And so if he would have walked out of that cave holding Saul's head, the whole army would have been like, sweet, let's go home. You know what I mean? Like nobody would have really been, been hurt by that. But he didn't justify his actions. He knew what was right, and he clarified his decision against the word of God and what God called him to do. And here's the thing. Rarely will any of us do the wrong thing on purpose. Like, we're not going to choose to do the wrong thing knowing that it's the wrong thing. But we're really good, most of us, at convincing ourselves that the wrong thing is not actually the wrong thing. And sometimes it's easier than others. Sometimes it's a stretch. You know what I mean? When you're talking about, like, why isn't this summer body in check yet? Well, like, you know, I couldn't go running because, like, my shoe was kind of old and I thought it might break and so I didn't really want to do all that. And, like, I could only get frozen chicken nuggets from the grocery store because I couldn't find real chicken. And, like, that's why. If that wasn't the case, though, I'd have it, like, I'd have it together. That's not true. That's a stretch. You just like nuggets and sitting down. I do, too. I get it. I'm with you. But sometimes it's a lot more... Uh, justified. To be honest with you, sometimes your emotion, the feeling that you have is actually justified. Here's a story that we're not going to get too deep into, but it comes in 2 Samuel verse 13. It's actually David's kids. David had a bunch of different wives, which he shouldn't have done. Another problem, one of his bad decisions. And he had a bunch of kids with those bunch of wives. And at one point, one of his sons uh, sexually assaults one of his daughters, takes advantage of her. And one of his other sons obviously is furious about it, and he goes and he kills that first son. Anybody in this room would be hard-pressed to say that the son who did the murdering 
was like not justified in feeling the way that he felt. Like I have a sister, if anything like that happened to her, I would be furious. I would have a very hard time not responding the same way that Absalom did, who was the son that, that killed his brother. But God has been very clear in this specific situation about murder and whether that is or is not okay. And so your feelings, though they are justified, sometimes, they don't justify your actions. Just because you deserve to be mad doesn't mean you deserve to act out of that anger. Just because your boss did pass you up for that promotion or your coworker did take your idea or that person did cheat on you doesn't mean you get to act spitefully and hatefully from that place. You get to turn that over to Jesus and trust that he is going to deal with it and that he is going to fight for you like he promises to in his word. If you're not sure what to do, run it through the Bible. Like if you feel like you're justifying and you don't know what God says to do, look in the Bible and you don't have to be a Bible scholar. Like I didn't go to Bible college. I went to a liberal arts school. If you know what that means, let me know later because I don't. I studied something unrelated, criminology. And so I, I never had Bible classes. But that doesn't stop you from knowing what the Bible says about anything. You have the power of God and Google on your side. And I, Steve will joke about it a lot, but like legitimately probably 50% of this sermon was written from Google searches. And so it's, it's a tool that we have. Just type in Bible verses about anger, Bible verses about forgiveness, Bible verses about infidelity, whatever you're struggling with, whatever decision that you're making, whatever you're not sure about, look it up. You have the tools at your disposal. You just want to know what God says about it. And in addition to going to the word, you want to go straight to the source. You want to go right to the Lord. You want to ask God in prayer to make it very clear to you what you should do. You want to ask him to burden your heart with the truth. And he will do it. And you know, because you felt that before, where you were burdened with the truth about a situation. But at that point, it falls to you. And number three is kind of related. Number three is don't fool yourself. You have to be honest with yourself. When God gives you a spirit of truth and he burdens your heart with the right thing to do, you have to be honest with yourself and actually do it. So none of these other things that we've talked about, nothing that David did would have mattered if he could not have been honest with himself in that moment and known that this is what I want to do. I want to kill Saul. It would be easier for me to kill Saul but this is what I have to do. He recognizes his bias and his emotions, and he notices that they are excuses to do the wrong thing. And when we want to make a good decision, we have to be able to do the same thing. We have to be able to know when we're making excuses to do what we want to do instead of doing the right thing. And it's hard to do that. It's hard to be honest with yourself. Most of us in this room there's a good chance like you've never actually taken a real good look at, at who you are and what you think about something because for a lot of us, we don't like what's looking back at us in the mirror. But you have to, if you want to make good decisions, if you want to live the life that God has called you to live, you have to be able to be honest with yourself. And it's hard to do, especially in emotionally driven situations. A decision made from emotion is almost like 95% of the time a bad decision. You know what I'm saying? Like you make an emotional decision, you're probably going to regret it at some point. And so to be honest with ourselves, a lot of times we need help. We need somebody that we can go to for advice. We need to be able to seek wise counsel. In the book of Proverbs, it's just a book of uh, wisdom, wisdom sayings. It's actually one of David's sons, Solomon, who writes most of the Proverbs, which is interesting. 
Uh, but in chapter 12, verse 15, it says this, the way of fools seems right to them, but the wise listen to advice. So a fool will be very convinced of themselves. And that's really convicting to me because I feel very convinced of myself a lot of times. And that makes me a fool. But it says that the wise listen to advice. So you listen to people who maybe don't agree with you. You listen to the people who are telling you uh, what they think God is calling you to do. And the thing is, you don't just listen to anybody, right? You got to know who you get advice from. David's, all of his men were telling him, go kill Saul. And these are dudes that he fought and bled and sweat and suffered with that he loved. But he knew that, like, I'm not going to make my life-altering decisions based on these dudes' opinions. So who do you go to advice for? I think there's three, three things we want to look for. Again, church, three. I think there's three things we want to look for in somebody to get advice from. So you want people in your life that you can get advice from who, the first thing is this, who are further out ahead of you in that area of life. All right, if you want to get your money right, you want to make good financial decisions, you want to get advice from somebody who is financially secure. You don't want to go ask your broke friend, what should I do with my stimulus check? Because your broke friend is going to get you broke just like them. If you have a kid and you are like, don't know how to raise this child, you want to go talk to somebody who has kids, not just who has kids, but who has kids and parents them well, who has kids that act the way you want your kid to act one day. You don't want to go ask your single friend, hey, what, is, like, what do your podcasts tell you about parenting? Like, I need, I need to know. More than just being out ahead of you in that area of life, you want to find somebody who lives a life that you want your life to look like, just kind of in general. So same thing, just on a broader scope. You want to ask people who have a life that you want to model yours after. If this person tells me what to do and I do it, my life looks more like theirs. Am I okay with that? So like for me personally, the people that I go to for advice, uh, they, they got to meet a couple different criteria. They have to have good, healthy marriages, good, strong families, they have to be good parents with good kids. They need, I want to get advice from people who are successful in whatever it is that, that they do, whatever their career is. I want to get advice from people who are good leaders, good friends, get good families. Like that's the life that I want to live. And so those are the people that I want to get advice from. So you can ask somebody, hey, I'm thinking about doing this thing. I'm thinking about making this decision. If I do, will it make me more or less like you? Is it going to get me more similar to who you are, or is it going to get me further and further away? And finally, the last thing you want to find in somebody to get advice from is you want to find somebody that puts their faith first, somebody that puts Jesus at the head of everything that they do because they are living, that is the person who is living God's call for their life. There's a lot of people in your lives who are going to be successful, who are going to live lives that you want to live, but if they don't put Jesus first, you don't want what they have because it's built on sand. The Bible says that Jesus is, is our firm foundation, and that's what we want to build our life on. So you want to get advice from somebody who has a strong life built on a firm foundation. Here's the thing, though. David didn't always make the right decision. He made bad decisions just like we make. He made awful decisions. He made some of the worst decisions that exist in the Bible. And so the one decision that we're going to talk about a little bit is this. He had a friend named Uriah who was a soldier in, in the army. And so Israel's army is out at war. David is not because he decided not to go to war with his army, which is not is a bad move for a king. While the Israelites are out at war, David 
starts uh, hanging out on his rooftop and he sees his best friend, Uriah, he sees his wife bathing on her rooftop. He has her brought to him. He sleeps with her and she ends up getting pregnant. He doesn't want to get caught, so he brings Uriah home from the battlefield. And basically, three nights in a row, he gets Uriah drunk and tries to get him to go home and sleep with his wife so that when she has the baby, Uriah will think that it's his. But Uriah has too much integrity for that. He knows that his brothers are sleeping and suffering on the battlefield, and he's not going to go home to his wife while they're still doing that. So he goes and he sleeps on the ground outside of the palace. And because that never works, David sends Uriah back to the battlefield with an order basically to have him murdered on the battlefield. And what sticks out to me the most, and then David goes off and he, he marries Uriah's wife to, to cover it up. And what stuck out to me the most in that story is the chain of bad decisions. Like one bad decision leads to another, leads to another. So David decided to murder his best friend because he had decided to sleep with his best friend's wife. And he had decided to sleep with his best friend's wife because he had decided when he saw her on the rooftop, instead of being a respectable, respectful grown adult man and turn around and go back inside, he decided to stare at her, let lust form in his heart and to pursue what he knew was wrong. He was only on that roof to look at her and make that decision in the first place because he had decided to not go to war for his nation uh, and as was his responsibility. And so what started is what seemed like a kind of insignificant decision. I'm just not going to go with the army. Like I've fought so many battles. I'm getting older, like I'm just, I'm gonna stay back at home and you guys can go, you can fight the war. Not many of us are gonna hold that against David. It's not the right decision, but we're like, yes, it's okay. But then that puts him in a position to make his next bad choice, which is significantly worse. And then that puts him in a position to make another bad decision. And before we know it, he's murdering his best friend. And I think that's the danger of not being intentional about making good decisions is because when we don't make good decisions and we do make bad decisions, it puts us in a position where we're going to make even worse decisions. And before we know it, we've made one bad decision after another, after another, after another, and it's taken us so far away from what's true and what is right and what is good that we start to feel hopeless. Like we just can't make a good decision. And maybe that's where you're at today. Maybe you feel like your whole life has just been one bad decision after another. Maybe you feel like you just can't make a good decision as hard as you try and you do try. You cannot make the right decisions. There is good news for you today if you feel that way because you don't have to stay there. Understand there is nothing in your past that is keeping you from making the right decision going forward. You are one decision away from turning your entire life around. You are one wise decision away from being a wise decision maker. All right, you can't undo your past mistakes, but they don't have to define you. My mom always used to say when I was growing up, she said, Taylor, you are not dumb, but you did a dumb thing. And so I think we need to know that. Like, I, I am glad my mother used to tell me that because I grew up knowing I can do something stupid and it doesn't make me a stupid person. I can make a mistake. It doesn't make me a mistake. And some of us need to un come to understand that. Now, we've made bad decisions. We've made mistakes. But there's not a single one of them that precludes us from being in the presence of God because he loves us and his grace for us is new every morning. There's nothing anybody in this room online in Montgomeryville could have ever done that would separate you from the love of Jesus. And that's straight from the Bible. I'm not making that up. It's not a cool saying. That's straight out of, I think, Romans. Google it. 
You're never so far gone that God gives up on you. And it is never too late to start making good decisions. You can't undo your past mistakes. All you have is your next choice. And it's up to you to make the right one. That's all you have to do. It's that easy. Is it going to be easy? No, but it is simple. You make the right choice. You choose. This next decision I'm going to make is going to be right. And I think for some people, that decision is right now. I think some people have sat in here, in this room or in Montgomeryville or online. Maybe you sat through or listened through worship and you didn't really sing because you don't get it. It's not like your thing and that's fine. But you read these words that we sing about who God is and who we believe him to be. And I think something started to stir in you. And then we're talking about the Bible and, and God's word for our lives. And I think you start to feel like maybe, maybe I don't have to do this alone because I can't do it alone. And the fact is, you're right. You can't do it alone. None of us can. We're not designed to do it alone. We're designed to depend on Christ and on God in our lives. And we want to give you the opportunity to make that decision today. At the end of every experience in the career of Journey Church, we have given people an opportunity to reach out and meet Jesus because that's what matters. All of these steps are cool. Had some cool highlights, cool verses, some catchy quotes maybe, some tweetables, but none of it means anything devoid of the Holy Spirit and devoid of God being here and moving in our lives. And so at this moment, we can all go ahead. We're going to close our eyes. We're going to bow our heads. If you're in this room, if you're in Montgomeryville, if you're online as well, and this moment is not about anybody but you and Jesus. And that's all that it is. If you know Jesus in this place, in Montgomeryville or online, we just want to pray that God is moving in somebody's life. He is doing a new thing. He wants to make somebody a new creation today. And maybe that's you. Maybe you feel like you need to be made a new creation. Maybe you feel like you are hopeless. Like you've made only bad decisions. And you can't do it on your own. And our hope and our prayer today is that you're coming to realize that you don't have to do it on your own. You don't have to make good decisions on your own. You don't have to do your life on your own. God wants you to be in his presence. God wants you to walk with him. For some of you, this decision is now. This is, this is the time when you get to make the right choice. This is that time where you feel the right thing to do weighing heavily on your heart and you get to decide whether you do it or not. And so the way we do this at Journey Church, it's not a special song you have to sing or a special prayer. There's not a special cracker you have to eat or anything like that. You just accept Jesus into your life. Steve's dad came and preached a couple weeks ago and he said at the very end of his sermon, super simple but super profound, he said, just accept the grace. Jesus has grace for you. Jesus has love for you. And all that we have to do is just reach out and accept it. And at Journey Church, the way we do that is we just raise our hand. So if you're here in Phoenixville, there's nobody looking around. If you're in Montgomeryville, there's nobody looking around. There's one person on stage. If you're online, you can let us know in the comments. But if you want to accept Jesus today, just stick your hand up in the air. What that is, I see your hand right here. I see your hand right there. If you want to accept Jesus, all you're doing right there is you're saying, Jesus, I need you. You're surrendering this moment and you're surrendering your life to who God is and what he wants for you more than anything you could ever want for yourself. And when we celebrate that together, when we clap together, understand what we're doing. We're celebrating somebody meeting Jesus. The Bible says that when one person comes to repentance, that the, the whole of heaven 
celebrates with them. And so that's why we celebrate as well. I'm gonna give you one more moment that we're gonna pray together. Church, if, we, if you know Jesus, let's be praying together right now that God is continuing to move in people's lives. All right, let's pray together. Jesus, we thank you for this moment that you've given us to be in your presence. God, we thank you for those of us who, who are coming home to you for the first time ever, Lord. We just pray that you would continue to move in this house through the rest of the day, God, online and in Montgomeryville and any of our other campuses. God, we thank you for, for making us capable of making good choices, Jesus. We thank you that we don't have to do it alone. We thank you that it depends on you and not on us. God, it's in Jesus' name that we pray. And everybody said, amen. amen. Let's celebrate that together. Thank you for taking a few minutes out of your day to listen to our podcast. If you decided to give your life to Jesus after hearing this message or want to learn more about how you can join us in person, visit jrny.church for more resources or to find a location near you. Have a great rest of your day.